0: It's good to see you this morning. I, uh, I hope that you chose to have a, a truly thankful Thanksgiving, whatever your gathering or lack of gathering may have been like, because you know how that works, right, that we can actually choose gratitude, right? And so I hope that you were able to do that. I also hope um, that if you did gather uh, together um, with, with friends or family, that you were able to experience the joy of togetherness, because I know it doesn't always go that way, right? Joy is not always the the word people use as a descriptor for their Thanksgiving gatherings. I, I get it. I get it. I understand that sometimes family gatherings can be um, extremely stressful, right? You're wondering if if Uncle Bob is going to bring up politics right, you go, oh, oh, oh yeah, or if uh, Aunt Karen is going to critique each of the dishes, you know, or you know, I, I, I get it, I get it, it's, it's, it's not like I've been, certainly at Thanksgivings that have been challenging, because fellowship and family do not always go hand in hand, right, that's just a reality, and I think it's kind of funny that it just so happened, we didn't really plan it this way, that um, this Sunday, this Sunday after Thanksgiving, falls on a weekend where we're talking about being devoted to fellowship or devoted to deep, connected relationship. You might be going, well, that is not what I just experienced, right? And so, so maybe it's a good thing that we're talking about that today. We've been making our way through the book of Acts over the last several weeks and, uh, and, and we're in a series called Family Spirit, and we're at a place in, in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, where we've kind of slowed down and we've decided to sort of camp out on just a couple of verses here for a few weeks as we uh, as we look together at, at, at some of the priorities that began to emerge in the early church, right? Because we feel like each of those priorities is, is worth just talking about, you know, on its own. And so that's what we're in the middle of doing. Uh, But let me just read for you the whole context of that passage so you just remember what uh, what those priorities were in the early church. We find it in the book of Acts, chapter two, starting at verse 42, and here's what God's word says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, right? Now, as we read that, we read this a couple of weeks ago as well, you might think that that, that picture of what the church was like in those early days sounds kind of idealistic. But, but I want to remind you that that church was made up of, it was formed by ordinary people. Like you and me, like Uncle Bob and Aunt Karen. Like, right? they were a part of it too, Right, regular people, messy people like us, who had discovered relationship with Jesus, had been filled with the Spirit, had empo- and empowered by the Spirit to devote themselves to these things. And one of those th- things they devoted themselves was one another. So just by way of reminder, the four priorities that emerged, the practices that they devoted themselves in that early church were these things, teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And today we are going to focus in on the church being devoted to fellowship, fellowship, all right? So what I want to do is I want to answer a few questions, whether you're asking them or not. I'm going to answer a few questions this morning. And the first one is simply, what is fellowship, right? If we're supposed to be devoted to fellowship, if they were devoted to it, what exactly is it? As I shared a couple of weeks ago, if you weren't here, um, that word that we translate into English, fellowship, came from a a, a Greek word called koinonia, which means sharing something in common. or, or, Or more specifically, it is an intimate communion Yes, Lord? <laughs> it is an intimate, um, sorry, I lost my way. Uh, it's an intimate communion and participation with one another, especially through shared faith, right? It, it, oftentimes this word koinonia is used as it relates to faith. So it is, it is this intimate communion, is participation together, especially in things of faith. It is a family-like commitment to one another. And the passage that we just read is is really a beautiful picture of what that looked like in that early church. They were learning together and they were eating together and worshiping together and sharing together. Together being the operative word, right? In fact, you you read through that passage, it uses that word together over and over again. That is the operative word. They had devoted themselves to fellowship, to doing life together, right? Right? And we all know, I'm sure that every single person in this room knows, that that kind of devotion to other people is never easy, and it's always messy. Kind of like Thanksgiving. It's never easy, and it's always a little messy. That's just the reality of it. The Bible says that people were being added to the church. Just think about this, that people were being added to their number to the church every single day. In other words, new personalities, new messy people were being added in every single day. Just imagine your Thanksgiving, imagine imagine if just like throughout the evening or the day when you were having Thanksgiving, new people were being added into that gathering. New people with all their unique personalities and wirings and messiness, right? That's what was happening in the church. That's what it was like. So it's not idealistic. It was the work of God's spirit because this was a spirit-filled, empowered church working through ordinary people to bring about devotion to one another, to this thing called fellowship. And I'm convinced that the only way that could happen the only way we can even read this description is people were you know, together all the time. They were eating together. They were even bringing their stuff so, so they could meet the needs of others. The only way that that could happen was through the help of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't think it's natural in and of ourselves to make those kinds of things happen. So that's what fellowship is. It's a deep, intimate participation with one another in life and they devoted themselves to loving like family, to loving like Jesus. So the question was, what is fellowship? That's what fellowship is. This deep, intimate connection and commitment to one another. The second question that you may not be asking, but I think is significant, is, where did fellowship come from? Where did it originate, right? You might think that fellowship began as God created people, right? God created people, they began to have connection, they began to have relationship, they began to have family, fellowship. That's where it started, but that is not the case. The concept of fellowship, of intimate relationship, began with God. It began with God. As mysterious as it may sound, the one God of the Bible exists in an eternal relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Let me say that again, because it's kind of a mysterious reality of what we understand about who God is. That the one God that we read about in the Bible has existed eternally in relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Fellowship did not start with us. It started with God. In fact, fellowship is part of God's very nature. Hmm. It's hard to explain that. It's hard to really unpack that. But uh, there, there's a great book by a, a guy named Darrell Johnson. And, and he wrote a book called Experiencing the Trinity. A- and, and he describes it this way. At the center of the universe is a relationship. That is the most fundamental truth I know. At the center of the universe is a community. It is out of that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed, and it is for that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed. And it turns out that there is a threefoldness to that relationship. It turns out that the community is a trinity, The center of reality is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well said. Sounds perhaps awkward to say, but God has always existed in community with himself. There is an unbreakable unity and devotion and love between Father, Son, and Spirit. The very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, where it's describing creation itself. In verse 26, it says it this way. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us make man in our Image The Bible says that we were created in the image of God. And part of that image is the capacity for and the necessity of community. When we engage in deep fellowship in our faith with one another, we are displaying the very nature of God, which is community. We were created for relationship with God and we were created for relationship with one another. It's part of being made in the image of God. In in fact, in in 1 John chapter 1, there's this connection that is made between our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. I love how it says this. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see how he did that? He, He he looked at our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. Fellowship originated with God. And fellowship with him and with one another is restored through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what fellowship is and where it came from, right? It came from God's very nature. He is a community. A father, son, and spirit. And he made us in his image to need and experience community with him and with one another. Now here's the question where it gets a little bit more personal. And that is this. So what does fellowship have to do with me? <laughs> right? It's like, okay, great. That's what it is. Okay, great. The guy created it this way. But <laughs> what does this have to do with me, Jim? Well, if you are a follower of Jesus, in other words, if you have had your relationship with God restored through faith in Jesus, then the Bible says that you have been adopted into his family, which necessitates a family-like love for one another. Like it or not, if you've come into relationship with Jesus... Then that means you have been adopted into his family. And because you're in his family, it necessitates a love relationship with one another. That's how God put it together. And throughout the Bible we are commanded to follow Jesus together in community with others. This this faith thing, this Jesus thing was never ever ever intended to be a solo gig. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Did you hear that flow of thought? He starts off by saying, family, church, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Which, let's just be honest, we tend to do. To think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And when we think of ourselves more hi- highly, when we sort of think arrogantly, pridefully, I'm not really thinking about you, I'm thinking about me. And so he starts this whole discussion about community, about relationship, by saying, essentially, humble yourselves. Humble yourself. And acknowledge that we form one body. And we are members of one another, he says. In other words, we belong to each other. God calls us from a life of independence to a life of dependence on him and interdependence on one another. Right? That's how God designed it. That's how he put his church together. In Christ, we belong to each other. And that is the priority of fellowship. Now I know, I know that right now, maybe some of you are sitting there and you're thinking this. Whoa, 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 Jim. Listen, Jim, you need to understand something. That my faith is personal. Right, this is just, this, my faith is very personal to me and it's me and Jesus and it's nobody else's business. I know some of you are thinking that because I've heard it. Many times. Many people try to separate their spiritual lives from the rest of their life. They quarantine this area and they call it private. This is private. But you know what? The Bible teaches just the opposite. Although your relationship with God is certainly personal, it was never intended to be private. That was never God's plan from the very beginning He compared us to a body we're all a part of it an essential part of his body and so the best thing you can do then for your relationship with God is to take what has been personal what has been private and make it public through relationship with a few others that's the best thing you can do for your spiritual life In fact, the writer of Hebrews talks about this and encourages us in this. this. But before I read it, I need to give a little background because I don't know if you've ever read the book of Hebrews before. But sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. Sometimes it uses imagery or pictures from Old Testament. And it's like, if you don't understand that, it's like, ah, what's he saying? So I need to give a little background so that we'll understand the significance of what he says to us about our need for community and fellowship. God made a covenant with Abraham and he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to make a great community out of you. And that community was made up of of, millions of people that were sort of broken down into different tribes and even further down into families. And that community had generations of history together. They traveled together and worked together and worshiped together together. And this community, all of these individual families and tribes and community would come together, the Bible tells us, once a year, when they they had this this, this temple, and and they would come together, and and the priest would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people to cover their sin, because that was standing in the way of their relationship with God. And that one time of year, the, the high priest would go in to this place, this what was called the Holy of Holies, this, this special place that was set aside where there was this curtain that stood in between where the priests could go and, and where God resided, right? And you couldn't go through that and, and just any ordinary person couldn't go in there because that was the, where the presence of God was and there was a separation between them. It separated Relationship And so they had all of these things, these rituals they had to do to make sacrifices, to cover their sin, so that somebody could go and represent them before God. You see, this wasn't just a community. It was a community of faith. A community that God had created through a covenant with Abraham. And then Jesus comes on the scene and it says this, that he created a, a new community of faith Through a new covenant that was sealed and paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. In fact, through Jesus' death on the cross, no longer would there be this curtain separating us from relationship with God. We could enter in through Jesus, who sort of symbolically is the curtain who died and provided a way for us to come to God. Now I say all of that because what he is about to write in Hebrews brings all those elements together and calls us to community. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 19 and following. This is God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great Priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Do you understand how he brings those two things together? Since we have this magnificent way that has been opened up for us to have relationship with God through Jesus Christ, because that has happened and we can draw near to him, in that we are also to draw near to one another. In fact, he says, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Even way back then, at the early times of the church, there were people who had neglected, had fallen out of the practice of being together, of community. Because it just doesn't happen naturally. It doesn't happen automatically. It takes some devotion, some work, some energy, some commitment to do that. And so this writer of Hebrews brings these two things together. You can now enter into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, you are to enter into relationship with one another. And in that relationship, here's what he says you're to do. It sounds kind of weird, but stir one another up. Usually when we hear stir up, it's like that's a bad thing, right? But, but the original idea behind this is to spur on, kind of like what you do with, with a horse to, to get them to move on. Stir one another up, spur one another on in your faith. That's what we're called to do because we have been opened up a way to have a relationship with God and a relationship with one another. That is the same kind of fellowship that we see in Acts chapter two. A devotion to one another that is committed This committed so deeply that they're willing to stir one another up. They're willing to spur one another on and encourage each other's faith. So let me ask you a question. Let me just stop for a minute and ask you a question. Are Are you personally engaged in a community of believers whom you have given permission to stir you up to spur you on in your faith? Are you in a committed community of believers that you've given permission to them and they've given permission to you to speak into their life and to help you and to help them grow in their faith? Are you in that kind of relationship? If not, my question for you is this. Would you be willing to devote yourself? Because again, It takes devotion, it takes energy, it takes intentionality. Would you be willing to devote yourself to this kind of fellowship? Because God created us for relationship with himself and with one another. We need each other. You need it, and so do I. So you might wonder, well, what does that look like? right? I mean, you're asking me if I would, Jim, if I would be willing to devote myself to this kind of relationship, but what does that look like? What does that really mean? All you've said so far is words of being devoted, but what does that actually look like in everyday relationships? Well, the Bible actually gives us over and over again pictures of what it looks like. And some of those pictures use a common, a common, you know, two words together over and over again, dozens of times in scripture. And those two words are one another, and every time you see that one another in Scripture, it's another little snapshot or picture into what it actually looks like to live in fellowship or community with others, what you do, what it looks like. And I can't give you all of them because literally there are dozens of them in Scripture, but I want to give you just a handful to give you a picture of what this looks like. first one is found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. It says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded, For the sake of your prayers, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Did you hear that? Three in that one short passage. Love one another, show hospitality to one another, and serve one another, right? That's what it looks like. Showing hospitality. Pretty basic loving one another, to serve each other. It's all what it looks like to be in fellowship. Colossians chapter three, verse 16, says it this way, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What does it say there? Teaching and admonishing one another. Right? We understand kind of teaching, but admonishing is like, is like correcting someone in love, right? To admonish—that's what it looks like to be in community, to be in fellowship. James five sixteen calls us to confess to one another. Ephesians four thirty two says to be kind to one another and to forgive one another. Galatians six two calls us to bear one another's burdens, and on and on it goes—the one another's of Scripture. And here's the thing we need to understand, that all of those responsibilities, by their very nature, require relationship. You can't do any of those. You're not just gonna confess to somebody you don't even know. You're not gonna carry the burdens of somebody. All of those one another's of scripture that we see over and over again, by their very nature, call for fellowship. They call for relationship if we're gonna live them out. And I believe that that can only be accomplished with our helper, with the Holy Spirit. Because this stuff doesn't come natural. It's difficult. But by the Spirit, as we see in Acts chapter two, he can bring about a unity of love for one another that is deeper than we could ever imagine. That's what God created us for. Relationship with him and relationship with one another. And that is what fellowship has to do with you and me. But I think we need to just face reality, and that is that this kind of community does not come natural and it does not come easily. Because selfishness will always battle against a devotion to fellowship. Right, I mean, I see it in my own life. My own selfishness, my own sort of self-protection, what I want, always is gonna be battling against a devotion to fellowship. And our desire for independence is always going to be at war with a call to interdependence. This is a battle, this thing of fellowship with one another which is why we need to be filled and empowered by the Spirit to help us put to death our selfish desires. We can't do it on our own. Now for me, I want you to know that this idea of a devotion to fellowship is not just a message for me to preach. It is a life that I'm called to live, just like you. And I, I just confess to you that that life that I've been called to live in relationship with others has not been easy for me. It's not been natural for me. I'm naturally sort of an introvert, sort of a I'll do it on my own kind of person. But as I have pressed into that in my life, it has been the greatest blessing. Stacy and I are part of a a committed, intentional, small group. And, and, and from the very beginning, we intended that this group would, would not be a um, hi, how are you doing, I'm fine kind of group. You know what I mean? Um, these are friends that we have cried with and laughed with and shared with and been extremely vulnerable and real with. And I and my and Stacey would agree, because we talked about this last night. We would say that this has been the closest thing we have ever experienced to what you read about in Acts chapter 2. It's the closest thing we've ever experienced to it. Now we are far from perfect and everyone knows it, which makes it sweet. But we have chosen to love one another to the point that you can be completely yourself and know that you'll be loved, accepted, and forgiven. And and here's what I want you I don't just share that to say, oh, this is what. I share that because that's been our experience and what we are living right now. And I want you to know this I want that for you too. I want that for you. I want you to experience that kind of life giving relationship. Because God created us for it, and we need it, and I want that for you. So I want to end with one last question, and that is this. What is one step that you can take towards a devotion to fellowship? I want you to think about that personally. What is one step that you personally can take towards a deeper devotion to fellowship? Now for some of you, you are engaged in relationship with others, you're in fellowship, but here's the thing, we're never fully there, and so we can always grow, and so maybe for you, a step in growing in that devotion, it maybe for you is um, recognizing that sometimes you tend to hold back and not put yourself out there and be quite as vulnerable, and maybe a step for you is to do that, to choose, choose vulnerability, choose to risk that kind of relationship. But for others of you, you may be back in a place where if you're really honest, you'd have to say I have no relationships or no friendships with people who are followers of Jesus. And, and maybe for some of us, this, what, what we're doing right now, is the closest thing you get to community in this church. Now, I think this is great. I love coming together and I love worshiping together and I love listening to God's word together. But this is not deep fellowship. We just can't do it in a group like this. I mean, let's be real. You're sitting there and I'm talking. Not very fellowshipy. It's kind of like sitting down with somebody who will never shut up. <laughs> and he's talking, talking, talking. You never get a word in edgewise? It's kind of like you guys right now with me. <laughs> this is great. I love being together. I think there's, there's a part of gathering in the body for this to happen corporately. But, listen, if you're going to engage In community, in fellowship, in life-on-life relationship, it needs to be more than just this. And so I'm just asking you, what's one step? One step that you could take in that direction. Maybe for some of you, that one step is to come to church on time and not deliberately come after connection time. (laughs) Because I know some of you do. Maybe it's just that. Maybe for you, uh, one step could be on Sunday mornings, you come here at 9.30 and go to our donuts class next door where you can, in a smaller group of people, just sit around a table, have some conversation about God, and then come to service. I don't know what the first step is for you. Maybe for you, it's a step into serving in some way. You heard about that earlier in the service. And, and, And oftentimes, people find community as they serve in the body of Christ. Maybe for others, you just know you've been talking about it for a long time, you need to step into a small group where you choose to be open and vulnerable. I don't know what the first step is for you, but maybe, maybe for some of us, it starts with a prayer like this. Holy Spirit, I am so far from this picture of fellowship that we read in Acts 2. In spirit, my heart is resistant to the idea of stepping into this. Please help me. Please change my heart. Heal my wounds and help me. Because I know that for some of us in this room, the reason that you are not engaged in fellowship, the reason you're not engaged in deep relationship is because you've been hurt by that. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. It is a risk. I've been hurt and so have you. But listen, it is worth the risk. We need to risk broken relationships in order to have relationships. We need it. And so my prayer is that the Spirit of God would bring healing in you and would open you up again to the hope of, of engaging with other people. I don't know what the first step is for you, but I want to challenge you to take one step. I I told you a few weeks ago, and I'm still praying this, that I have been praying that God would make us uncomfortable with life as usual, faith in Jesus. We're just going through the motions, that he'd make us increasingly uncomfortable with that. And if you are feeling that, if you're feeling more and more uncomfortable, just sort of going through the motions, then press into that. Because God wants to bring you. It might not become more comfortable. It might become more uncomfortable as you enter into relationship with others. But God's going to use it to bring you comfort and to bring you growth. Would you be willing to take a step? I pray that you would.